Today's sponsor is SoFi. SoFi is transforming the world of banking. They recognized how unhappy people were with their banks and decided there has to be a better way. So they made one. Find out more about them at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com. Today is also sponsored by Mac Weldon, which makes awesome sweatpants, t-shirts, underwear, hoodies. I can tell you about their socks because I'm wearing their socks right now as we speak. I also wear them on stage. Great socks. I've paid for them with my own money. I don't know what more endorsement you would want than that. But if you do, here's another one. My mother-in-law has bought them for me. She says the website is incredibly easy to use. If you don't like your first pair for whatever reason, you can keep it. They'll still refund you. No questions asked. You can go to MacWeldon.com. Get 20% off your order with the promo code RECODE. That's good for me, Peter Kafka. So if you like me, put the promo code in there. You save 20% as well. That's MacWeldon.com. Promo code RECODE. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka, powered by digital media. Hello, I'm Peter Kafka. I'm an editor at Recode, and you're listening to Recode Media, a podcast where I sit down with the most interesting people in media and technology to understand what happens when those two things collide. Normally, I talk to you from a studio on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Today's a little different. I'm at the Skim headquarters, so it's going to sound a little different. There may be a little more echo. I'm here with Daniel Weisberg and Carly Zakin from the Skim Many people know what the skim is. Some of our listeners may not know what the skim is. It's a really cool story. I mean, why you guys, glad you guys are here to tell me about it. But why don't we just explain in really basic common English terms, what is the skim? The skim is a company that makes it easier to be smarter. Thank you for having us, by the way. We're yeah, very we're very excited to be, excited to be here. <laughs> so it was Daniel first and Carly first. And I guess we'll just have to like Danielle. have a key at some point. Yeah. And, and people will figure out who's speaking. So I'm going to use my own definition. Uh, the skim is a newsletter company reaching younger millennial women we'll, we'll push back on that yeah, yeah we're, gonna, we're gonna change your definition uh the skim is an audience company that will become a multi-platform audience company. oh no we're already we're already there um, we are there we're so there. here let's you guys have created a newsletter which you distribute to how many different women mostly women not so we're targeting women. female millennials women 22 to 34 we the last time we publicly released our numbers was a while ago we are and the last time we said it we are well over a million and a half um, we've grown substantially since then, but are not releasing our numbers. There just are more yet. than 1.5 million people, mostly women, mostly younger women, yes. r- subscribing to your newsletter, and which op- tells them opening it. and opening it. Yes. Yeah. That's active subscribers, active our, subscribers, opening that newsletter. Yeah. yeah. Our open rate is about 40% each day. And the newsletter tells them what daily? The newsletter tells them what they need to know. So we want to make sure that our audience is prepared to step into a meeting, a social event, a conference, whatever they have going on, and be able to talk to the person next to them, whether that person works in finance, education, politics, whatever. So it's, it's about the news, though, right? Just yeah, to be clear. Yeah, it tells them what they need to know, what's going on in the world. Um, the idea behind the newsletter is that it sounds like your best friend giving you what you need to start your day and be out the door in five minutes. So this is one of the reasons your story is so interesting, right? We're at 2016. You guys started this business how many years ago? Summer of 2012. So it's been 2012. So it's a couple years old. You have a very successful email newsletter business, and we can talk about the other Mm -hmm. platforms and audience you're going to build. But but you have a business that you've built to date in 2016 where people are opening up email from you and learning about the news. Very counterintuitive in a world of Snapchat and Facebook instant Mm -hmm. articles and every Twitter text. Why did you decide four years ago, three and a half years ago, to launch an email newsletter? So we'd never thought about launching a newsletter company. Um, And I think that's an important distinction for us. We thought of email as 
the the best marketing tool there was. So just to, to give you like a little bit of background on our backstory, we are longtime friends. We used to work at NBC News and our friends would come to us every day and say what happened in the world today. And they were really smart. They have great jobs. And there was clearly a disconnect between traditional outlets that said they were trying to reach them and what our friends actually were engaging with. And instead, they were just coming to us and we were just filling them in. And over time, we kind of realized that disconnect and realized we knew how to solve for it. And when we thought about, okay, well, how do you solve for it? We knew it had to be kind of us just talking to our friends, no BS, just, you know, normal How, how were your smart friends not unaware of what was going on in the world? I think They're, our smart friends knew everything about what they needed to know in their day-to-day. So they knew everything about their industry, and then they knew everything that interested them. And they didn't know how to go to www.newyorktimes well, or BuzzFeed. I don't think there's a few things I think that contribute to it. One, it's just time. Like, Everyone's, everyone thinks they're the busiest person in the world. I think our friends think they're the busiest people mm-hmm. in the world. We think we're the busiest people in the world. And there was a lack of time. Um, so our friends were, you know, and I think they are emblematic of this demographic, which is like short on time, need to know what they need to know, give me what I need to know. And so some of our audience and some of our friends just don't like news and that's totally fine. Never have, probably never will, but you need to know about what's going on around you, which is why they're so grateful for the skim. Some of our other friends are like, I love the news, read everything. For them, the skim is kind of a fun supplement to start their day. And some of our other friends who read and always have read everything in their specific industry, just there were gaps in their information. And maybe it's because they actually don't like entertainment news or, you know, celebrity gossip or whatever it is. Or maybe it's because they don't like sports news, whatever it is. Our goal is we don't care what news you like. Our goal is you go to a work event or a social event. We want you to be able to talk to anyone about anything and never have that moment where you have to drop out of conversation. We also saw a couple of things that I think didn't fit into the routines of our friends that when you look at all of the the sources of media that are out there, and there are a ton, obviously, things that they just weren't connecting with. When we started, the idea of news aggregators was huge. That's, and the that's idea, what news publishing was. It was taking news someone else had made and, and right. shortening it and <laughs> yeah. printing it. So I, I think a lot of people looked at that and they were like, oh, this is a fix to be able to get news on the go. But it's not really telling you everything you need to know. You still have to take the extra step and open the link and read the whole article. Or download so, the app. Yeah. I mean, and so that wasn't fixing the problem for our friends who needed to get up to speed and needed to get up to speed fast. The other thing that Carly talked about, too, is the trend of personalization in news. To us, you know, that's great. And there are great sites out there and apps that do that. We didn't see a void in the market when it came to doing something like that. What we saw a need for was something that just made you a well-rounded person, that gave you a little bit about everything and made you feel confident going into conversations. So, and again, I'm still fixated on the idea that you've got a successful email mm-hmm. business. Uh, email's a very old technology. We keep hearing that email so doesn't work. I, it's broken. We're going to we're going we're to kill one. email. Yeah. So, <laughs> and by the way, you're not the first people to create email totally. businesses. Yeah. Uh, the most obvious one in your space, but not your space, right? Is Daily Candy, yeah. but that mm-hmm. wasn't news. That was shopping tips and yeah. something you can buy. So. Before we started, we just, I think the thing about us is we are really good at knowing what we don't know. So we didn't know anything about any of any of this kind of world. And and we just talked to everyone. So we are huge admirers of what Danny Levy built and huge fans of Ben Lear's and what he's done at Thrillist. Danny and Levy built Daily Candy, Danny, mm-hmm. uh, Lear, Danny, Thrillist, and many other things. Yeah. So Danny became an advisor to us. And we, we knew, you know, obviously Daily Candy had a totally different mission and it wasn't about news. We really talked to Ben and, and his co-founder, Adam, and spent a lot of time with them and they've been really generous with their time. And we really studied what other traditional newsletters had done and how they've pivoted. And obviously now Thrillist has Jack Threads and this amazing story. And for us, what we knew is that 
email, you know, even though some of those newsletters had to pivot for different reasons for us, no matter what, every single morning turned off my alarm on my phone and I grab my email and I check email first before I look at any list I'm on. I check email from friends and family and all of my friends do the same thing. And Danielle did the same thing. And we just kind of talked about that. And we were like, we just got to be a part of that. We have to sound like your friend. And we call that like the one eye open routine. And we just knew we had to be a part of it. So for us, <laughs> meaning you're reading it, just not kick your desk. You're reading it with one eye open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, we you turned saw, over and grab your phone yes, and you've got yeah. one eye open. And yeah. that was, you know, in, coffee. <laughs> in 2012, when we launched, we thought it was weird that you were still having to seek out news. Why not have news be a part of your morning experience? And so that's, really, you know, what we see ourselves doing is really reimagining the idea of morning television. You know, it was funny when we launched, we got a lot of pushback of people being like, newsletters are over. And we kept saying, but we're not a newsletter email. We're just using an email to create something really big here. And people would email us and be like, email is dead. But we're like, you just emailed that. Like you're using what you just said is dead. And we just knew that that was how we communicated every morning. I mean, that was part of our routine. All of our friends could relate to it. We knew they obviously represented a much larger audience. So we kind of, it was a very much of a gut instinct to sort of say, okay, like we're just going to, we know that our friends will read an email. We know they'll read this email and we're not creating a traditional newsletter business. We're using email as a marketing tool. So I want to, I want to talk about that gut instinct and I want to talk about how you started to build the mm-hmm. business, but let's step back before that. It's one thing to say, well, we saw a void in the market, so we decided to quit our jobs. <laughs> right. But again, you had jobs at NBC. You can, you can argue so, about yeah. the future of TV, but yeah. you had jobs at NBC in, in New York. And we worked really hard to get those jobs. I think one and thing. we love those jobs. Yeah. So like one thing to know about both of us is that we grew up news geeks. I mean, we loved the news. We loved being storytellers. We wanted to work at NBC News from the time, I mean, before we could remember. We worked, I mean, we interned. We were lucky to get jobs there as soon as we graduated. We weren't unhappy. I think what we saw is that to be honest, we, we graduated college in 2008. Job scene was not good. We were lucky to get our foot in the door and we got to grow so much in those years when it was a pretty thin news organization. And then we came to a point where it was like, what is the future going to be? And we didn't know. And there were layoffs and it was a scary time to be there. And it wasn't really a time where we could grow. And what we knew more than anything was that we wanted to grow with news. But to do that, we had to do something different. So, so I think, your mind, even though you're working at 30 Rock at NBC News in Manhattan, it did not seem like your future was sort of mapped out for you. It didn't seem rock no. solid. I think then that's where there's been a shift. I think, you know, if you would ask producers 10 years ago, 15 years ago, even eight years ago, there was much more of a set path. And that path we saw, like we were on it. We were signed up to be on that path. That's what we always wanted. And then we got there and it didn't exist. And yeah. you guys, and at one point you say, all right, it's one thing to go, well, here's a way, maybe we could build this thing on the side. Well, we became roommates. Yeah. So why, if you ever need inspiration, why don't you uh, live with the person that you're supposed to start something with? And then we basically prevented each other from procrastinating. I mean, couldn't like go brush my teeth without being like, oh shoot, we were supposed to build something. But you guys didn't <laughs> think, well, let's do this a side project. We'll build no. it. Maybe it'll be no. a thing. How I mean, do you, I how think do you that's go about quitting your job and starting? One is that, I mean, we were, we're not people that do things like half. I think there's no way that for us, we could have thought about starting a business and not either go in or go out like too much and up I in think the air there. If we ever even thought about it. I remember, you know, when we started just asking people for advice, like, you know, what should we do with our careers? Anytime anything ever came up about starting something, 
um, and we didn't even know what the idea really was at that point, people would say, well, the one thing I'll tell you is like, you got to do it. Like if you're going to do it, you just do it. And so that we just sort of knew it wasn't a debate ever. Do we stay and do this? It was, we just knew like, it's a matter of, do we actually do this at the other time? I mean, where we were at that stage in our lives, I think says a lot too. We were 25, you know, our responsibilities. Yeah. I was going to let you slide. (laughs) (laughs) Our responsibilities were, you know, paying our rent paying utilities, but we didn't have families, you know, to worry about. And it's never easy to quit your job. And I don't want to gloss over that. It was, I don't even remember quitting. It was the scariest day of my life, but it was never going to get easier. Do you remember the day where you said, all right, we've gone from theoretical to we're going to do this. What was the thing? Was there, was there uh, some, fate. Some, some jump you had to make? There, there was yeah. fate. Um, literally it was, I was on a show and the show got, they switched me to a different show. You're working on a show. Yeah. They switched me to a different show to work on and I didn't want to work on that show. And I was like, okay, it was a sign. And then Daniel had a promotion and it was going to be delayed by a few months. And we were just like, it all happened in like two days. We we're like, sign. Let's just do it. I think also so NBC made you happier or less unhappy. You might've stayed. You know, I think you never know. I think the other thing is that I think we were looking for signs yeah. and I think those were things that it was like, we had a gut feeling and I was like, well, you know, I probably would have been really happy on that show, but I was like, okay, this is meant to be like, you I were looking for the push. Yeah. And I, and I think the other thing, and this kind of goes to our naivete, naivete at the time, it was July. Things very seriously always seem easier in the summer mm-hmm. and it didn't seem as scary. And we knew we had enough savings for two, exactly two months, which is kind of laughable now knowing how hard it is to raise money. But we, um, it was an election year and TV always staffs up freelance during an election year. So our feeling was let's quit. We have two months of savings and then we'll get hired freelance through the election and then we'll figure Plus, we it out. pay for heat because it's July. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. And we can work outside. Yeah. Right. So that was like, we were like, they're building free Wi-Fi on right. the Hudson River. There are probably worse decisions <laughs> yeah. than this logic. Um, but I do want to say, you know, one thing just to be said about where we used to work. Yeah. Our old mentors and coworkers have been so supportive. This is the point where we point to, to the yeah, fact that say you're a former boss here. is here. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> producer so, Beth sitting here quietly. You know, we, we really do. I mean, they've all been so amazingly supportive. And one of the first big media outlets we were on was the Today Show, which is really cool because we used to book the cars. So, so speaking of big media, I want to talk about that in a minute. But uh, in the meantime, SoFi is a new kind of company that's about to send shockwaves, the good kind, through the financial world. They've decided that banks aren't going to fix banking, so they brought some smart thinking to the table. Unlike big banks, SoFi is progressive, nimble, and innovative. They don't judge their members based on a FICO score. Instead, they look at their potential, and if they show promise, they'll back them for life. And because SoFi is totally unlike a bank, they can provide services and rates that banks can't. So if you're looking for a financial partner that does a whole lot more than finance, visit SoFi.com. That's S-O-F-I.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com. Let's go back to you guys. So you say, we're quitting. It's a summer. Things look awesome. Let's go raise some money. You're 25 and 26 at the time. You have no entrepreneurial background. You have this terrible idea to start an email newsletter. (laughs) How does that process go? Well, we not only, we didn't have a business background. We didn't have a tech background at all. We had nothing but a business partner. So we had like a great business partnership from the beginning. And we We were friends first. The two of you. The two of us. We were friends first. You don't have a technical lead, as they say in the startup world. And we decided not to get that. Um, We also, I mean, on that point too, we've known each other since college. We didn't go to college together, but we met studying abroad. So we have a one-up on all the other founders out there because that's a pretty (laughs) cool story. Um, But we also, we had a great background in what we were going to do. I think one of the things that's a little bit different about us is that the guys at Homebrew who led our seed round, Satya Patel and Hunter Walk, 
say that we disrupt with love because we really did love the industry that we were in and we had a great solid foundation in news. And that's really yeah. what we had. I think it says a lot, like our first day of the scam, like day one we launched, our nine o'clock meeting was at 30 Rock. <laughs> like that, like we literally woke up, we like sent the newsletter and then we got dressed to go back to our old jobs to see people and tell our old bosses and to tell them the idea and get support and advice. So I think for us, like how does it actually start? I mean, the thing that we had in our favor was we had each other. Like there was never a doubt of like, is this the right business partner? Is there a trust? All of that. We had an idea. We knew exactly who our audience was. We knew what we wanted to create and we're really, really scrappy and we're really good at asking for help. And I think I also would put one thing in our court too. We'll give us a little bit more credit. I think there was no going back. Um, I think we, are really um, sometimes we're hard headed, and I think once we made the decision, sometimes we've been so called difficult. So, <laughs> so you burnt your bridges, or you burnt your boats, no, whatever we, that metaphor is. We definitely didn't burn bridges when we left at all. But I mean, we just knew that the but day you're, we you're quit, all, you're all in. It was the I can't explain it, and I think anyone, I'm assuming anyone who's been started something like this before, like we were on such an adrenaline, like I can't believe like what we did, and it's and it's kind of a blur, and I feel like it's a very out of body experience. But literally day one, we took we like sat next to each other on our couch we went through our gmail every single person we've ever been on an email with we went through our facebook friends every single person we put them all on a list we each were allowed to take off two people and it was like ex-boyfriend's mothers or something and that was it the only vetoes <laughs> yeah and we put them all on this list and i think between the two of us it was like 5300 5500 and i mean with people we were on chain mails with i mean really not like not all friends and we just sent this email out. We said, hi, we quit our jobs. We launched this. Like, would mean the world to us if you would sign up and spread the word. That first day, we got 800 people to sign up. And that was friends being really nice. There was two articles that we pitched about ourselves that came out the first day. Came out. We got some nice pickup from it. And we you had articles written about you the day you launched your business, did. which didn't exist? Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. Um, and the reason <laughs> we got clearly the good article, media. So well, the, the way we got it is the only thing we did to prepare is that we went to a Skillshare class. And it was um, called How to Meet Your Business Partner. Turns out that was the only class we did not need to take. And but we came, became very friendly with the teacher who became a mentor to us, Alex Taub. And um, he helped us. He was like, you need to have launch press. So he helped introduce us to two, uh, one reporter, and he actually wrote one of the he articles about us. He was writing for Forbes us. at the time. Yeah. So we so, got lucky. Yeah. So, so you got press and you get pickup because you're inviting everyone except your boyfriend's ex, ex-boyfriend's yeah. mother's. How do you go then and then find a hunter walk or whomever? So and that get was you go a, a year and a half. You so went a year and a half before that you was raised? a process. We did a a really small angel round, which we did a couple months in. Yeah. So what happened was we sent out this email. Eight hundred people signed up. What we emailed. And then we started just emailing everyone. I mean, literally every media organization, every reporter, everyone. One of the people at NBC that we never um, never knew when we were at NBC was Hoda Copy. We heard she was really nice. We emailed her. She said, thanks, That's girls. Hoda and Kathy Lee, yeah. for people yes. who don't watch yes. uh, morning news. Yes, you should watch. Um, or Saturday Night Live. Yeah, or Saturday Night Live, I was going to say. Uh, so we emailed her. She said, thanks, girls. I'll check it out. And then we kept following up. She didn't respond. One of the days that we went back to 30 Rock, we our, my phone crashed. And people were respond, writing on my Facebook wall, just saw you on Today's Show. We thought they meant they like saw us walking to the building from the plaza camp. So she yeah. mentioned us as one of her favorite things. 
that changed our life because we immediately went to about 5,000 subscribers. And from there, I mean, it was the two of us like going coffee shop to coffee shop, leaving flyers about the skin. We did our own grassroots college tour. Yeah. We went to, I think, 12 different schools and just literally would walk into the cafeteria and, and like tell people, people about it. And then you're doing a year and a half. This is like a year, about a year of that. We So two months in when our savings ran out, immediately we, we knew we only had two months. We started networking. We um, Because of Alex Tab, we started meeting people in the space they've introduced it to other people and so on and so on. We ended up being able to, to take a very small angel round of people that we just met, which is amazing that they believed in us. Um, and that helped us live. And we, to put in perspective how scared we were, we, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was a lot of money for us. When the year was up, it was supposed to last us a year. We had over half of it left because we were so terrified to spend it. We were like, if this is it, then this is it. Like we need to build a business. We'll make it last. What was your, what, what, a lot of ramen, a lot of, we, a lot it was of a lot of cooking. It's not a healthy period. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was no gym. So we had the day we launched, we took a picture of our fridge because we were like, we need to make life adjustments. We're going to cook a lot. And it was like the healthiest I think we had been for that year was that first that day, day launch. And then it was just like take out. Yeah. yeah. And then by April or May, we were like, okay, this is like actually really taking mm-hmm. off. We had real traction. And we were like, we started asking people what happens now. Cause we had no idea. And people were like, you got to start raising money. So we, and it was funny because we didn't know anything about the venture world. So literally day one, when people said, are you raising money? Like from the day we launched, you'd be like, yeah, sure we are. We didn't know that you're not supposed to say that. Cause we weren't really raising money. We had a meeting, one of the first meetings that we had with, it was the first VC meeting that we had way too early on. But, and I only say this because it shows really how far we've come and it's <laughs> a really point of pride for us that we have raised a series a because this first meeting we met someone very nice vc guy took the meeting we were referred by friends he sits down we we give our pitch for the first time he was like okay great so you know what do you think your valuation is going to be and we didn't know what valuation we never heard the word yeah Uh, so i uh threw up my hand and raised like five fingers and didn't say anything and i looked at danielle and i'm like how did like i was like deer in headlights had no idea what what she was doing and when she put up her hand we literally did not know was she saying five like five thousand five hundred we had no idea what she was had the number five in it yeah we just, I mean and I had no clue yeah. I was just like she well, did, and it was the best Instagram yeah. you've ever had but um it was like the, it just showed we really knew nothing did and that work in the end we she raised it five million. no we didn't we but don't not realize then. our valuations <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's fine we look we talk about that meeting a lot because we knew nothing and so we started meeting people though like over the course of the year and then that by that summer by 2012 we really started meeting people and, and figuring out, getting introduced to people who believed in what we were doing, and we were lucky to come across Hunter and, and Satya eventually. It was hard. I mean, we had a list of we had a list of everyone that we reached out to in fundraising, and most of it was in red. It was people that couldn't see beyond email. It was people that were looking at media and saying media is not hot right now. We're not investing people in it. People that just said, "My wife reads it. I don't get it." Yeah, you guys. And then we met Homebrew, and they were uh, huge believers in us, and we just had a great relationship with them. You guys are young women. Yes, that is true. Um, there are not a lot of people absurd. running startups who are young women. There's a lot of discussion about diversity in technology, mm-hmm. diversity in the startup world. How much of the fact that you are young women, I can't phrase that any more awkwardly, uh, do you think held you back when you were out trying to make the case for your business? Or maybe it helped you because you didn't I look think, like everyone else they saw. I think it it hurt us to be young. I think it hurt us to be first-time founders to be founders that didn't have an MBA, to be founders that didn't have any tech background. So I think all of those things that made it much harder. But I think starting a business in general is very hard, like no matter who you are. Yeah, I think we certainly had our moments of 
eyebrow raises and like, did you just say that? Or is this, this is real? Like, you know, we came from TV, you have tough skin. Like, you know, it, we came from a that world like that a cushy we, world. yeah, that, you know, we always thought we had really tough skin and, you know, we've seen it all sort of thing. And I think we didn't understand the stereotypes that people talk about until we did have certain meetings. And I think, but I think for us, our biggest takeaway, as Danielle said, the hardest thing unequivocally was saying that we are a first time entrepreneur, first time raising money. And the second we closed our seed round, we like looked at each other and we're like, no matter what happens, we will never have to say when someone asks, have you ever done this before? No, that was huge for us. And I think the other thing too, is we were really lucky that mentors and advisors took time on us. We have a great network of advisors here and investors. Um, a lot of them are women. A lot of them aren't, but I mean, we were, we were lucky The the founders of Rent the One Way, um, Alexa Von Tobel, guilt founders. It's just, I feel like I'm Susan line. There's just kind of this network here. Um, and I'm not sure it's the same in Silicon Valley, to be honest, but I think here, you know, we've been really lucky that these people took time on us. In New York City, yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's a network of women entrepreneurs. There's been a great network Executives yeah. Yeah. who are it's helping a grow, out I mean, a growing network, but yeah. And, and, and so in that way, gender does help you there. Well, it helped us. I think, you know, we could go to a breakfast uh-huh. for women that were starting media-related or consumer-facing startups, and I think all of us could fit in a room. Uh-huh. So it was definitely not a big community, room. Not a big room. Um, but we've been told it's a bigger room than I think when they go to San Francisco. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So let's talk about the business today. I started off, I kind of thought this would happen. I'd say, describe your business, <laughs> and you did not say we are an email newsletter business. Yeah. So why don't you want to call yourself an email newsletter business when that's what your business is today? So- uh, we are not just an email newsletter business right now. We actually have 11,000 brand ambassadors, Arsk ambassadors. So we also have a community and, and thriving audience If you could see my face, it. you'd see a funny reaction when you say skimbassadors. Yeah, so 11,000 skimbassadors do what? Uh, they are our brand evangelists. They actually contribute about 18% of our user growth to our newsletter. They promote your newsletter. They promote our newsletter, but they're also our focus group. Um, we are in social media channels with them all day long. They are the biggest mouths and word of mouth marketing that we have. They help us with uh, content when it comes to our social media channels. So I'm, I'm going to push back. So I said, you're an email newsletter company. So you gonna, say we're not. You say we have 11,000 skimbassadors, <laughs> but your skimbassadors so are your marketers. I think the best way to look at it, the way we think about it internally is when we talk about like, what are our assets? Why do we have any value whatsoever? It's we've got this voice. We've got this crazy community and we've got, and crazy in the best way, and we've got this great trust with them and this really great bond. And what we've been doing is we've been building that and using an email newsletter as a marketing tool to build all of that. But when we think about what are our assets, like what are we now? It's this voice and this audience. And we describe ourselves when you ask like, what are you? We like to say we're an audience company. And I think that will become more and more obvious this year and in years to come. Because what we get our audience to do is to listen to our voice and to engage and act. And right now they're acting and as ambassadors, but they're also buying books and putting them on New York Times bestseller list and selling them out on Amazon. And they're buying wine because we recommend it on a Friday. And they're showing up in over a hundred cities around the world to get together to celebrate sip and skims, which you also can attend. And I see your face. But, uh, which <laughs> sounds entertaining. Is wine involved? Yeah, yeah. Right, there's yeah, always wine. I think also um, what they would say that they're part of is not that they wake up and read a newsletter, but 
what they've said to us is that they feel like in reading the skim, it's not just like reading anything else that's out there. They feel they're part of a community. So I'm going to do some translating here. Today, you make money from your newsletter. And what you're telling yourselves and our audience and your investors and brands is we are going to move beyond just putting messages in a newsletter. We can do other things. We have built an audience that reads our newsletter. We have our skim ambassadors. I can't believe I just said that out loud without laughing. And and we are going to move to different platforms. It's a very of the moment thing to say. But what's awesome about your business is you figured out how to make newsletters the thing. And then you have this whole pitch about it. You you, one eye open news. It's great. Why not stay in that lane instead of going after I don't know what you're gonna go after because you're not gonna tell me about TV (laughs) or Snapchat or Twitter. We always knew we could build a big business and we can build a really great newsletter business, but there's a lot more than we can build. And I think what we have accomplished in a very short amount of time is the makings of a brand. I think we've really created a brand and I think it's a brand based in news. And I don't know any other news organizations out there that have people voluntarily wearing their t-shirts and signing their friends up three years in. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's kind of unheard of. Yeah. I mean, we, we see ourselves as this generation's morning show. Like they're reading it. They're just reading a morning show in the morning. And we're reimagining what that experience is and we're going to bring it to different platforms. So when you talk about what we monetize, like we've also monetized our community um, and our ambassadors. Um, so when brands work with us, they're not just saying, I want to buy newsletter inventory. They want access to our ambassadors and they want that offline community as well. I would also, you know, just say that in three and a half years, we've created something that millions of people love waking up with every morning and they tell their friends. And I think for us, it was really important that we scaled with quality in mind and not just, you know, get everyone you can and get them reading. We didn't want to be everything to everyone. So, you know, when you say you're just a newsletter, like this was all part of the plan. We wanted to have a really solid base before we went off and tried new things. And I think that's something that is going to help our company down the road. I guess see a skim TV show or a uh, skim, uh, Netflix show. All of those exist. Like we want to be on every platform. So I hope one day we're talking about all of that. Yeah. I think you're the third millennial news organization that I've I've talked to in the last few weeks. I've gotten two different answers. So I'll ask you guys, do millennials need a different kind of news than some old person like myself needs? That's a good question. I don't think so. I think we are as millennials, like we love reading the New York times. I love watching 60 minutes. And I think a lot of our audience is not millennials. I think what everyone needs is they want people to just tell it to them straight. Like, just tell me what it is. And whether that's because you're wearing a suit behind a desk or whether that's because we're saying we're skimming in our pajamas, they want just information, I think. And they want it to be told to them straight and they want information that fits into their routines. People are really busy. They're busier than ever. And I think, so to me, it's not... I don't like to say this is millennial news, news for millennials, because we have people who are 103, literally someone's birthday last week, who reads The Skim every day. Um, or actually has their daughter read it to, to them. them. Yeah. <laughs> so our youngest readers, I think, are eight, and our oldest is 103. Um, I, we know who we're writing for. But, but you don't want to concentrate on the 103-year-old demographic. No, no we don't. But I, I also know. think millennials really, we've seen them value two things. And one is there is so much clutter out there and there's so much noise. So they really appreciate things that cut through the noise. And we've been able to do that. I think the second thing that they appreciate is options and experiences. And for us, you know, there are so many ways to get news out there. Um, we didn't believe that you should value getting your news from the New York Times or getting your news from CNN.com over other methods. So we're another option. Okay. You guys won't tell me what you're going to do now. So I'm going to have to come <laughs> back and ask you about what happened in you six months back. or a year when we find out about it. Deal? 
Deal. Deal. All right, Carly, Danielle, thanks so much. Thank, Thank you guys you. for listening. Thank you. Thanks for fun. tuning in. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to this interview as much as I did conducting it, you should subscribe. You can catch up on previous episodes and listen to future episodes all on iTunes.com slash Recode Media. And don't miss our other podcasts, which you can find at Recode.net slash podcasts. You guys are smart. You're listening to a podcast. You can figure this out. On Recode Replay, we'll be posting audio from Code Media 2016. You can subscribe to that. Tomorrow, you can hear Kara Swisher and Lauren Good on Two Embarrassed Ask. We have so much free audio content. You should listen to all of it. On Monday, Kara's back on Recode Decode. I'll be here on Recode Media next Thursday with another awesome guest. See you then.